Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. And we had quite a lot of feedback about the immutable file systems thing and Silverblue, but we're not going to cover that this episode. We will do that in a future episode, possibly of this, possibly of Late Night Linux Extra. Who knows what the future holds? Your best bet is to subscribe to the Late Night Linux All Episodes feed, and then you'll definitely get that in your podcast player. Or of course, if you're a patron, then you'll get it in that Patreon feed, only with no adverts. And you can go to linuxafterdark.net slash support for more details of that. And if you want to get in contact with us, linuxafterdark.net slash contact. So Dalton, you had a question about what our ideal desktop Linux business model is. Yeah. Canonical is taking flack for focusing on the desktop only as far as it benefits the server, which I think is fair, because the server is making money. Manjaro just completely takes it when they put sponsored software in the distribution, and people are still ragging on elementary for the pay-what-you-want model. We obviously can't make everyone happy, but what's the best way to get desktop Linux funded? Because the only way it's going to get better is if we actually fund it. I'm going to push back on the elementary thing. I don't think people are still giving them any stick for that. I think people have totally accepted it, and that's just how elementary does things. And the people who don't like it have found something else. Well, that's good. I would still be afraid to do it again because of all the crap that it caused. When something's been free, as in beer, for quite a while, changing people out of that mindset is so much more difficult than, for example, if we look at Windows, another operating system, where you had to pay and now you don't. I mean, you do, but less tightly. They are offering major version upgrades for free. And with MacOS, that's a free download rather than the physical media. I think putting the genie back in the bottle for that is quite hard to do in general, not just in computing. And that's really challenging. So if you were to suddenly say it's 30, and there are some distributions that do this, you know, it's 30, 40 euros, dollars, pounds, people don't like being charged for something that they feel should be free. Now, I don't know whether that is viable in the long term, because it's not free. It doesn't just pop up out of nowhere. <laughs> like, you know, you did someone didn't just find it and burn it to a CD. So that's tricky. But I'm not sure you'd get a lot of adopters to pay for a download if, say, Ubuntu did that rather than what they're doing. Well, I don't think it's a secret that most people who download elementary OS put $0 into the pay-what-you-want thing. Well, and in fact, they've changed it. It's not pay what you want anymore. It's pay what you can, which is a subtle difference, but it's a big one. Hmm. I think that the best way to do this is to make the purchase invisible, having it included with the hardware rather than as a separate purchase. It looks like that's going to be the only way we can do it. This most commonly in my mind is Ubuntu Touch on the Vala phone, which is marked up significantly over the base hardware that Vala is rebadging and selling. Well, in my mind, it's Ubuntu and the deals they have with various OEMs. I think it what HP, Dell, and some others. And I know that they're making money out of that. I guess the unanswered question is, what does that money get used for? I would imagine a significant amount of that is for hardware QA and testing. 
all of that is just a part of making a distro though. So even if you are doing hardware QA and testing, if you're doing it for one device, it's going to apply to others. Not necessarily 100%, but there will be benefits to other devices you would have thought, yeah. And what's the situation with that at the moment though? Because the other day on Telegram, someone popped up and said, I would like to buy a laptop pre-installed and the topic of Dell came up. So I was trying to help out and the XPS developer edition isn't available. When you search in the UK, at least on Dell's website, and it is possible to just say, show me every laptop Dell sells, whether that's the business line, the consumer line, Chromebooks, anything, and specify the OS. And this could be stock shortages, I don't know, but there were two available laptops in stock pre-installed with Ubuntu, and they were both four and a half thousand pound workstations. I found an XPS the other day pre-installed with Ubuntu. I can't remember where, I was just digging around on Dell's site, just looking at what was available, and that wasn't a hugely expensive machine. I mean, it was still a relatively expensive high-end machine, but I, I think it was just an XPS or something like that. Right. As for how that translates, my understanding of this is that if you want to ship Ubuntu, like proper certified Ubuntu, then you have to pay Canonical, and then there's a lab out in Taipei where you send them the hardware and they do the hardware enablement. And my, I don't know 100%, but I think that's quite expensive and profitable. They obviously charge more than they're actually paying the engineers out there to do the work. And then that money goes into the bigger pot. And it's not necessarily that that pays for the desktop development. It goes into the company and the company pays for desktop development. It's like taxes, isn't it? It all goes into one pot and then gets divvied up somehow. Yeah, I remember there was a the release notes of 2004, there was a great bit that Wimpress wrote about how they'd shifted the model from an ISO to even if you bought a certified machine with Windows, if you knew compaved it, it would create that enablement because it knows the machine is certified if you install the LTS of Ubuntu. It's hard, isn't it? You know, it's about presence. Maybe this is changing because of the event, but... Previously, if you go into a brick-and-mortar store, you can't buy any machine. <laughs> in The ones in the UK, certainly, apart from our favorite Chrome OS, you can't go and buy a machine that is running a Linux desktop. And even, you know, a couple of times, and this is going back quite far, they get nervous if you go in with a USB stick and say, do you mind if you can show me a demonstration of this machine booting Linux so that I can see how it copes with the latest LTS. Oh, I just used to go in and just do it anyway. (laughs) What are they going to do? I can't remember the last time I bought a computer in a physical store, to be honest. Well, I bought one for my mum because she insisted that it was from a physical store so that it could go back there or whatever. And uh, so I just went into Curry's. This was a long time ago, actually. This must have been, oh, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And I just went in with a USB stick, just plugged it in and just started messing with it. And... uh, I think I even connected it to my phone, you know, tethered Wi-Fi to make sure all that worked. And then I walked out of the shop with it and set it all up for her. And uh, she used it until the power jack broke on it. Yeah, I think eBuyer from memory, the web retailer, do sell some machines pre-installed. Some of them have free DOS on it, which is just to save you money. I don't think anyone's going to use that. Oh, they might be playing some retro games, you never know. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, autoexec.bat, it's not dead yet. I think... Also, they have some with Ubuntu pre-installed that you can order and it's cheaper. But the vast majority of, you know, doing residential IT support, even if they don't go bricks and mortar, 
they look on the website for Amazon, Curry's, the brick and mortar stores that have transitioned to online because they're still, they still occupy a position of trust and they don't have a lot of them. And it'd be nice to think that that could expand potentially. But that's just one of the things that you said, Dalton, you know, sponsored software in the distribution tends to bring out the, this is anti-Linux brigade to a degree. Yeah, that just smacks of uh, bloatware that you get on a Windows laptop. No one wants that. Well, no one wants it, but what else are you going to do? Well, you're going to have it as a lost leader for your profitable server and cloud products. That's not Linux either, because you can't <laughs> lock it into one thing. you got to have your next cloud server. I've got my Synology box. How would I ever use your service? I don't trust you. You're in the UK. You're not in the US. <laughs> to flip that around. <laughs> And then, you know, another model, which I think, you know, elementary have is, is the paid app store. But again, it's that genie out of the bottle thing. My users that run macOS, when they ask me for an application and I find them one that's good, they're things like clean my Mac, various, they're good applications. It's well-written software. They will pay for it. And when I say to them, it costs money, quite a lot of them are like, okay, yeah, I'll pay for it. Well, they're paying you enough, aren't they? Well, yeah, of course, but <laughs> you know, um, but that's in, kind of embedded as an idea that that people do. And again, I, I I don't know. You know, certain open source software has been added to, say, Steam, like Krita and things like that, which is possibly helpful. But again, people gravitate and say, "Oh, but I've seen you. You can just download it for free." Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash linuxafterdark and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and TrustRadius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been using Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash linuxafterdark, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash Linux after dark. Is it because Linux comes from the internet and it's not something that comes on hardware? And because it's this third-party bit of software that you put onto your computer, you actively make that choice. It's like everything on the internet. It's free. Of course I'm not going to pay for it. I downloaded it off the internet. Well, you say that. Interestingly, I have met a couple of people that have bought open office on dvd i mean i'm going back a while but they bought it because they went into a brick and mortar shop and it was half the price or less than ms office but they actually bought the physical media and, and paid for it even though they could have just downloaded it at the time this was before it forked off into LibreOffice. but i think you're right to a degree it's the napster generation isn't it you know well i mean aside the copy of tux paint that i once bought in the pound shop <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is how linux started right there were copies of early versions of Debian or Red Hat that you could go and buy in a big box in a store. And people did buy them and people did use them. And those people, by and large, have varying memories of using that. But 
those people aren't going to go into a store and buy a box with 30 floppy disks of Debian 2.0 on them now, right? That's not how software distribution works. So if you are going to sell Linux, you need to do it in a way that people are familiar with. And the only real way that people seem to pay for software and services now is by subscription. Exactly what I was going to say. Services, subscription services, monthly recurring revenue. You have to give away the core product, whether that is Mac OS, Windows or Linux or Chrome OS, and then sell them on a backup service or a streaming music service or whatever. That surely is the only way to monetize a desktop operating system these days. Otherwise, these giant companies wouldn't have switched to that model. Yeah, I mean, Apple are doing that relatively successfully and have been for the last 10 years, right? Mac OS since, is it Lion or something? Has been a free upgrade. And you upsell people on iCloud and Apple One and fitness and music and whatever else it is this week. And that's your revenue model, you know, costly hardware aside. But I don't know if we have a story in that world with Linux, at least we could resell people Nextcloud servers or yeah, hosted Jitsi instance or something like that. But these aren't things that normals have heard of. And I think that's a real problem. Is this not what the E Foundation is doing, though? I guess if it works, then it works. The Nextcloud example was what I was going to bring up, Gary. I had at the very beginning of lockdown, a friend who works for someone who keeps an eye on the budget, shall we say, and they hadn't really thought about what their cloud solution was. And so I put them in contact with a cloud provider that offers hosted Nextcloud and charges a fee. And the advantage there is you get a block of allocated storage and you can divide it into as many seats as you like instead of paying per seat for the big boys. The issue I would wonder, and I don't know enough about it, is does that trickle up enough? Is that cloud provider taking the first product, selling it on, but are they contributing the financial gain fairly to Nextcloud, which is enabling to do that in the first place? And I know that this particular provider had to stop selling it as Nextcloud because of a slight issue there, and they had to rebrand it, which they were obviously allowed to do when they followed the appropriate licensing. But that's a tricky one as well. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, you know, with some of the machines that you've seen pre-installed with Ubuntu, not all of those machines will have gone through the blessed canonical QA process, right? I mean, a lot of the ones that I saw certainly a few years ago on eBuyer were just Clevos that had Ubuntu put on them so that there was an OS when the user took it out of the box. And yeah, I, I have the same concern as you, Chris. It's if you move to a services model, those services are going to be run broadly by people who know how to stand up and run that service. Sometimes people who don't know how to stand up and run that service. And there are all sorts of horror stories around that. And I do worry that I could start a Nextcloud hosting business now and not trickle any of that money upstream. One of the things that comes into my mind as well is, is how many people are willing to just see the people behind FOSS projects as the human beings that they are. And I know that it does happen, but maybe it could happen a bit more. And sometimes just take a step back and be like, I literally load this FOSS application every day. It's one of the first things I run when I open my computer and I haven't ever paid a penny for it. And maybe that's something I should think about doing because if I was in a different 
operating system, you know, like I mentioned with MacOS, I may well have paid for this or be paying a monthly subscription. So just because I can get it free as in beer, maybe I should pay it forward a little bit more because these are human beings and not all of them are raking it in from what they're doing, even though they're doing it very, very well. But then isn't that when we come back to the elementary model with the app store prompting you to pay for applications you've not paid for yet when you update them? If this is an application that's on my machine and I'm regularly using it, should I not chuck the developer a few quid? And having nice reminders for that, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that approach. I think it's a a positive one. But I can see, you know, I don't want to rag on elementary. I I've not used it very much. I don't know what their user share is, but if one of the big boy distros started to do that, and I know their funding model is different, but I can imagine people uh, and people just like to hate everything these days, I think sometimes, but there would be like uproar about the idea of that to a certain degree. I think elementary is a really interesting example because they've always been unashamed of trying to get paid for their work not make money out of fast or whatever but get paid for the work that they are doing and they've made it so that you actively have to opt out of paying they've always made it so that you can opt out of paying and you can enter that zero but you have to do it it's not a zero by default and click click next 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 it's always something else by default and you are actively making that choice to pay nothing and that to me seems like a very good approach to it and it might piss people off but so what it's bold moves like that that we need to fund the desktop if we're gonna keep this whole ecosystem going as far as i'm concerned and it makes me wish that more projects had the guts to do the kind of stuff that elementary has done and the pantheon desktop is not really for me you know i get it some people love it but i just love xfce i'm just stuck in my ways or whatever but That whole approach by them, I really think it just shows guts. Have you donated to XFCE, Joe? I think time's run out, chaps. (laughs) (laughs) No, I haven't. And I do sometimes feel bad about that. But there's not a direct way to do it. I have looked before, and there isn't actually a direct way to donate money to XFCE. Yeah, that can be a problem. Is that just it then? We need to convince people that software should be paid for. I can't believe I have to say that. (laughs) I think convince people that it should be paid for and make it easy for them to do so. And as much as, you know, I don't just want to agree with you, Jay, but that's one thing that elementary have done really well. Like or hate their desktop, they are making it very easy to contribute to. Exactly. Yeah, they're they're kind of going for this value for value model. They're saying, we are providing you value with the work that we have done. And if you find that valuable, then give us some money for it so we can continue to work on it. That does make sense. Even I have started talking to people who maybe come to me with issues and are a little rude about it and say, hey, you didn't pay anything for this. You should either change your attitude or give some money because otherwise this is just going to fall out. I'm going to leave because you're being very rude. And that's that. Yeah, that attitude I've seen in open issues and on Reddit, which is obviously its own little cesspool. But that really, even though I'm not a developer and I don't have a project, I just feel really sorry for the person that's on the end of that it would be bad enough if the person had paid that they were that rude but they've paid 
nothing. And I don't feel bad when the person turns around and said, oh, sorry, give me your card number and I'll process your refund for you. <laughs> or something <laughs> salty like that. Because, come on, just the sense of, you know, what was that project recently, Dalton, that you and I discussed? The guy gave a sample of some of the emails that he would receive. Homebrew. Homebrew, that's right, uh, for, for the Mac. And he was like, what world do you think it's okay to speak to anybody in this way and take a sense of entitlement and ownership like that? If people were at least paying you and soften the blow a bit. Yeah, I guess. But also just like people should be kinder, but we're never going to solve that. Well, I was wrong. You can donate to XFCE via Open Collective, and I just gave them $20. So there you go. Thanks, Tom. Ah, there we are. It's a good start. <laughs> right, well, we'd better get out of here then. Remember, show at linuxafterdark.net if you want to send any feedback. We'll be back in a couple of weeks then. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. My name is Gary. Please donate to your favorite open source projects. <laughs> See you later. Bye.